Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Welcome back to Bonus Cuts, a special series of the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. As always, I'm here with Mike Pratz and today a very special guest, Dr. Vicki Noble. Dr. Noble comes to us from Cleveland, Ohio, where she is the department chair Cleveland, of emergency. Cleveland, Ohio, the Brooklyn of Ohio. Oh, <laughs> yes, <FYI>. true. <laughs> the Brooklyn of Ohio. She is the former chair of the ASAP ultrasound section, and she has served on the boards of many major ultrasound organizations, including AIUM, WinFocus, and Pure. She's also served on the writing committee for the critical care echo board exam for the National Board of Medical Examiners. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. If we went through all of Vicky's accolades, it would probably be like a 40 minute podcast. So well, we, you guys we had missed, to truncate it. I was going to say you missed the <laughs> fact that I have an amazing garden with tons of cucumbers and collard greens this year. So I don't know. What oh, no, you're, man, you know. <laughs> I did cut that out. Yeah. I had that in there. As you could already hear, this podcast is going to be a little bit different as we're not reviewing a specific post from before, but really just talking to Dr. Noble and kind of getting some insight into the field from someone who has a lot of expertise. So welcome. And I'm, I am going to do a shout out because for all of you who are just at SCUF in Madison, Wisconsin, which was amazing. And for any of you ultrasound educators who are listening, SCUF next year is going to be in Portland, Maine, and it will be beautiful because it will be in fall season. But I really, really encourage you to come because I think a lot of the mentoring and advice and wisdom of all of our community gets shared there. And so that's just a little shout out and a plug. And I have to say that Vicky is probably one of my favorite people to talk to. Whenever you see her at any conference or wherever, she's just so fun. And we have voted her number one influencer in point of care ultrasound. Yeah, so we're excited to kind of pick your brain and hear about your experience in point of care ultrasound and get some ideas from you. Sure. So why don't you just kind of start by telling us a a brief story of your career? How did you start in ultrasound? What happened? and, And really, how did you get to your current position? You know, like many people in my generation, when I was coming up, there wasn't point of care ultrasound. And a few people had kind of dabbled in it and experimented with like using the radiology machine at night and, you know, bringing it over to the to the ED to look at trauma patients. And my chair at the time when I was in Boston, you know, realized we needed to probably make this a little more official and buff up the credentials of our ultrasound department. So I was really volunteering told. I like to think that I had the foresight and the, you know, vision and I saw the whole thing and the writing on the wall, but really it was a just say yes kind of moment. I mean, it was either just say yes or just find a new job. (laughs) So I did a fellowship because there was a hole and we needed somebody to do it. I think that's the 10% of it. The 90% of it is that once I started doing it, it was just, it clicked. Like it just, it just fit. And it was a tool that made clinicians independent. It was a tool that gave you diagnostic power. It was a tool that let you communicate with your consultants in a really high level way. So there were so many things that made it right after the fact. But I talk about this a lot and I talked about this a little bit at Scuff, which is, you know, sometimes you don't know what how things are going to turn out. And so just trying things, volunteering or just being part of something sometimes leads to things down the road that you would never imagine. That's my story is that I was voluntold. I said yes. And then, you know, 
XYZ and all the subsequent steps happen. And certainly all those subsequent steps require a lot more effort. <laughs> but that initial entree and that initial exposure was just, just saying yes and just being the person who's like, sure, I'll try. I think after that, then it's getting trained. It was learning from others. So a lot of the ultrasound expertise at the time was in Europe. And so I spent some time learning from some of the European experts, building a team. I think that was another thing that really helped me was, you know, doing this in a silo is really lonely, you know, and also just can lead to a lot of frustration. But if you have a team, if you have people to bounce things off of, you know, so I had an amazing team at Mass General and I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without them. I think as, you know, your life and your career progresses, and I talked about this a little bit too, it's got the things that make leaders, and I say this a lot, there's a phenotype of emergency medicine, which I think all of us can kind of recognize, making decisions with incomplete information, being sort of independent, being a little bit like a MacGyver, like figuring stuff out if you don't have all the equipment. There's also a phenotype of point of care ultrasound, and it crosses departments, honestly. And I think it's sort of the same phenotype with a few modulations. I'm going to write a paper on this someday, so I'm not going to tell you all my stuff. But <laughs> but I think there's a phenotype of point of care ultrasound. And that phenotype is what I was drawn to, right? Like I met people when I went to France. I met people when I went to Italy. I met people when I went to Iowa. I met people when I went to Louisiana. And those people all had, you know, sort of MacGyvered and figured out some stuff that I was thinking about or I was interested in. And the point of care ultrasound committee, they're insanely generous. And so people shared. And I, I love that. I love that people shared, that they, you know, made their intellectual ideas and property available to their colleagues and all of it was in the service of being a better doctor and being a better caretaker of the world and the nation's health. So all of that, I think, is what drew me to the field. And now I forget your question, actually. No, that's incredible. That? And, and <laughs> let me let me try to summarize what I just learned from you, Vicky. Yeah. Number yeah. one, be open to opportunity. Kind of pursue it. See where it leads in your career. Number two, build a team. Surround yourself with good people. Interact with good people. Exchange of ideas. And number three, go to Europe as much as you can. Is that fair to Ellie, say? That's absolutely it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hot tip from Vicky Noble. <laughs> I will say, I, in case this goes, you know, global, knowing you two, it probably will. Yeah. It, it's not just Europe anymore. And and probably at the time, it wasn't just Europe. It was just I needed to talk to people who either spoke Chinese or, or English because they're the only two languages I speak. <laughs> so in Asia being like sort of, you know, half of the world, but like they have an insane point of care, ultrasound community, innovators. So they were also a huge influence for me. But the lung thing, you know, if I wasn't, if I didn't give credit to the Italians and the French, I would probably be assassinated tomorrow. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is kind of like the precursor or the basis for that future article. This podcast could be the start of the first idea of that famous Michael, paper. Michael, are you angling for co-author? I mean, no, I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> yeah, I'll be somewhere in the middle, please. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. No, but I really think it's true, honestly. Like if you think about the community, and I think it, one of your other questions you sent me before was about where I see point of care ultrasound going. And I think it is a core competency in emergency medicine. It is here to say, I don't think any of us would practice without it. You know, I think the diagnostics, the monitoring, the procedure guidance, everything is pretty solid in emergency medicine. But I think it is expanding into other disciplines. And I think our story and our model really can translate to other disciplines as well. The actual application or the actual way that it's used may be slightly different. 
I think it has the exact same power to impact all those other specialties in the same way. That is one of the things that the future holds, which is using a lot of lessons that we've learned in emergency medicine and translating it to other specialties is something that we have a lot of potential. Yeah, and like you said, going back to that that phenotype of point-of-care ultrasound person, emergency medicine, I think we all really enjoy relationships and collaborating and cross-disciplines and learning things from other specialties, teaching things to other specialties. So there's tons of opportunity there. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah, I think with um, ultrasound getting smaller, the pocket devices, being more readily available. I definitely agree with your kind of future thoughts on ultrasound that, you know, if everyone has an ultrasound at the bedside all the time, you know, that's just the natural progression, I think. Well, and I think the other thing that's really cool is that with all the efforts and a lot of people in this community have made these efforts and developed this, you know, in in Philadelphia in particular, I saw the UPenn alumni magazine with point of care ultrasound on the cover by teaching the undifferentiated stem cells. I know we talk about this a lot, but by teaching them uh, the tool and the technique and the sort of ideas of point of care ultrasound, people then take that tool and bring it to the rest of the house of medicine. And to me, that's the ultimate success, right? The ultimate success would be I'm in the ED. I call someone. They say, hey, can you just stick a probe on their chest and show me what you see? Oh, here's what I see. Oh, I understand that because I learned it in medical school. Oh, let me bring in this other consultant because now the three of us can like talk about it and, and look at the patient and make, you know, informed decisions. And to me, that would be the pinnacle. And we're almost there. I, you know, we're really close. And I think a lot of the work that this community has done pushing the industry along and pushing the rest of the house of medicine along has made an enormous difference. Now, if we turn our gears a little bit towards research and, you know, in anticipation of your upcoming New England Journal article that where you've been alluding to this whole time. You know, one thing that we often talk about is the need for better research, the need for more research, more evidence. And we've certainly over the years built up a ton of progress in this department. But still, you know, at the end of every article we read, it'll say we need more studies. We need the larger multi-center studies. We need collaboration. And so that there's been a lot of talk for that. And there's been, in fact, a lot of collaboration, you know, such as the reason collaboration for a lot of studies that they've put out in cardiac arrest. I would love to hear your take, Vicki. How do we take that next step to collecting you know, the highest of high evidence for our field of point-of-care ultrasound? I've thought a lot about this and, I, and I'm going to say something a little heretical because I actually think we're at the point now where we do not need to do point-of-care ultrasound studies only. And that seems crazy, but what I'm saying is I think the pressure that we've put on point of care ultrasound to solve all of humanity's problems and to be <laughs> the point of care test that then makes people live or makes people die is insane. And and of course, our studies don't work. And of course, it's too big. What we need to do is a specialty. And I think there's some really great examples of it. The ultrasound for renal colic study in the New England Journal is a perfect example. We don't need to be the only test that divides the sick from the well. We need to be a test in concert with all the rest of the things we do and see where that test pushes people. Does it push people to a faster throughput? Does it push people to a less cost? Does it push people to less radiation? Does it push people to earlier surgical intervention? But make point of care ultrasound not a standalone thing, but something that's integrated into studies that are being done by cardiologists, by radiologists, by surgeons, by pathologists, by people who are looking at COVID, all the ID people. 
like make it part of the study arms instead of putting all the pressure on it to be a standalone yes, no test. Because I think most of us feel like the yes, no questions have been answered. We can do it. We can do it faster. We can do it accurately. But where does it stand in sort of the economics of healthcare? Because that's really where all of us who do it feel that in our hearts. But it's a much, much harder question to answer. And you can't do it in a standalone fashion. I think we've had some spectacular failures that way where we try to have ultrasound be the diagnostic modality that then pushes people to a 0.05 p-value. I don't know that that's the right way to do this. So some examples, just to kind of give people some framework for this, is there is a group that was looking at heart failure and they were looking at troponin and BMP and chest x-ray and, you know, diuretics and swans and ultrasound, right? Like, so ultrasound is added into the mix as something else that is there. When you do that, I think you augment what most of us intuitively know, which is that ultrasound speeds up certain things. It points you in a direction, but it doesn't solve all the problems of like, you know, having no nurses to give Lasix or having no ICU beds. So you have to manage on CPAP for 20 hours or, you know, those things still exist. But I think when you put ultrasound into these bigger studies, and that happens only when the rest of the house of medicine understands what we already understand in emergency medicine, and you put it into the big, I don't even know what they're called, heart, blood and lung institute studies or NIH studies or big cardiology studies or big, even pharmaceutical, you know, I mean, I know you have to like give your left arm and your child, but like, you know, you give, you join those studies and you show where ultrasound adds value. That's the next level, I think, is to make it the same as a D dimer or to make it the same as a B and P. I think we've proven everything else. And to ask ultrasound to stand alone in these 20,000 person trials, I think may be the wrong path. So that's my new thinking on this. Anyone who's listening to this podcast, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, I think we need to partner with all these big institutional studies and make ultrasound part of it so that it's not outside looking in. It's just, oh, we added ultrasound at this arm of the study and this is what happened because that's where I think we'll find the stuff that we kind of intuitively know but have had a hard time proving. Well, you've heard it here first, folks. Hot take, Vicki Noble, stop doing ultrasound studies, looking at ultrasound in isolation. It is a little heretical. I get it. You know, no. but, you know, you got to push the envelope. And I do think the problem is I think that we've really done great work in proving the accuracy and the efficacy. We don't need to do that anymore because I think the uptake has is proven our point. But I think what we need to do is figure out how to serve our patients better and how to serve them more effectively. So an idea. Rural medicine, right, is a big thing in emergency medicine. And we have a lot of underserved populations in the rural areas where they have to travel three or four hours for diagnostics. In those rural areas, partnering with family medicine, partnering with whoever works in, you know, communities that don't have diagnostic imaging within a hundred mile radius. What happens when you teach people XYZ study? Can they wait a day later? Do they have to miss as many days of work? I think we asked the wrong questions too. Like how many days out from work are people missing? You know, what is the dollar value of that? How many days of daycare do people have to get so they can go get their point of care imaging? How many school days do people miss because they have to drive around? There's some cool outcomes that we don't look at that I I know that we all know in our hearts. Those are just some ideas. 
Seriously, I love that idea. And I think it is really in line with how the normal progression and evolution of evidence, like we've done our part, we've proven that this tool works in the way that we would think it does. And now we got to start being more practical, integrated, holistic, considering it in the part of our care, along with all the other factors that can affect patient-centered outcomes. The other thing I think that's really interesting is we always ask, what is the accuracy of it? And I always think that's just a dumb question, right? Like, what is the accuracy of D-dimer? You know, well, it depends, right? It depends where I'm doing it, who I'm doing it in, what are the risk factors, what's the pretest probability, what's the post-test probability. I just kind of hate all the effort on accuracy because that's 1980s science. Like, we can move on and think of it in a more, like you said, a more holistic way. Well, I love that you brought up the um, CHF article that integrated point of care ultrasound with every other test. And because I, I always reference that as like the likelihood ratios are the highest with ultrasound, but there's other things. There's other parts of the, of the picture that kind of puts it all together. That was one of the articles that, that kind of pushed me into my fellowship project. Yeah. Really great stuff. Yeah. Likelihood ratios are everything in medicine, right? I mean, we way underuse them and it's really how we think. So yeah, I think that was really smart. And I love the idea also just to go back to the rural medicine piece that you're just kind of asking the right questions. You know, I can having three boys, I can definitely relate to the days out of daycare do my kids have to be questions. So, um, (laughs) And this is what we answer as emergency physicians all the time. I had a patient two nights ago, you know, she says, all right, I'll stay, but why am I staying? I have to work. I have to get up at five in the morning. You're telling me I might die. Okay, I'll stay. But if you're telling me, you know, I might have more pain and I'm going to have to come back tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow, you know? <laughs> and she was, yeah. she was kind of right. Like I was like, good point. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think having those conversations with your patients are everything. Yeah. Yeah. Really understanding. But maybe the outcome that we think is really bad isn't as bad as missing work or yeah, right. not being home for their cats or dogs or something. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I think we need to be more creative in our outcome structure. I think we need to be more collaborative and think of putting point of care ultrasound as one wing of all the study arms in with cardiology, radiology, family medicine, pediatrics, surgery, you know, OB. We have tons of collaborators now. And honestly, they have better infrastructure for big time grants than we do in emergency medicine. So what a wealth of knowledge you are, Vicky. This is, I mean, this is high quality information. I, I really appreciate it. We have just one yeah. more thing we wanted to ask. I mean, you're brimming with these incredible ideas for the future, but we'd also love to hear about another aspect that I think I've learned a lot from you in, and that is kind of career, you know? So in a typical ultrasound person's career, people can go in different directions. You can choose, do you want to go more clinical? Do you want to climb the academic ladder? Do you want to become a chair or do you want to do other things? Do you want to go commercial? I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on how you chose to be where you are now and maybe some advice to others entering the field or earlier in their career. Yeah, that's a great question. And I've thought about this personally a lot recently. And I know others um, have asked and we talked about this, not to plug scuff yet again, but we talked about this a little bit at scuff. So there's a couple of things there. One, I think we are seeing the natural evolution of emergency medicine that has happened in all other specialties, which is I'm middle-aged. <laughs> 
And so, you know, like I think we, you know, we're as a specialty, we're barely 50 years old. And so there were a bunch of us that came into the specialty when it was 20 years old. We just didn't have that kind of career progression. Everybody worked shifts. They did all the stuff. They were research. They were admin. They were everything. And now I think we've matured to the part where there's a lot of us who are middle. I don't know what the right word is, but like, you know, we, we've been doing it for a while. And so maybe this is the thing to like stimulate your interest and to stimulate your brain and to keep you engaged. What are the other things you can add? That has happened. The maturation of emergency medicine has happened at the same time that medicine as a whole is imploding. If there is anybody who runs to the fire and has the skill set to like deal with an implosion, it is emergency medicine. So I can tell you, and I know you know this, Michael, but in Ohio, I would say more than 70% of my CMOs are emergency medicine, more than 80% of my C-suite right now is emergency medicine, more than... 30% of the people I see who are medical directors for companies are emergency medicine. All the big, you know, corporate groups have emergency medicine people in their, in their ranks. And I think the reason for that is because we train for this. We train for problem solving and innovative thinking. We train for disasters and healthcare in America is a disaster. (laughs) I think we have a strong enough bench and I think there's enough depth and breadth in our talent pool that, you know, the people who have been around for a long time are kind of moving into those areas. That's perfect because that opens up and gives oxygen and air to the people coming up who have new ideas. So I don't think it's a bad thing. It's interesting to me. And again, maybe that'll be another article I write about the phenotype of like leadership and what we train in emergency medicine, because it is kind of fascinating to me that that's happening. And it's happening at this time. And so I think we are the right people at the right time for what's happening to the House of Medicine. It is, I think, a choice because I do think there's nothing wrong with I would have been, you know, if I had some personal and family reasons for coming to Ohio, as I think a lot of you know, but like, you know, I would have been perfectly happy staying in Boston and thinking about research and doing point of care ultrasound because it is an amazing career and there's no reason you have to do something different. But I do think, you know, the quiet quitting and the pandemic and the resignation and all of this stuff has made people think a lot harder about how they spend their time. I guess what I would tell the audience is that you have skill sets and you have abilities that are applicable in many, many different realms, not beyond ultrasound. And ultrasound actually has trained you for those arguments, discussions, value-added stuff. So if you want to do that, or if you're feeling restless, or you have looking around, thinking about you know your next 20 years, there's a lot that you can contribute. And using the lessons of ultrasound and emergency medicine are super applicable. I think the reason that we see a lot of it or quote unquote, a lot of it now is just because of the natural evolution of our specialty. And now we're 50 years old. So I don't think we should read too much into it, except that we can fix most things. Yeah, I love that. Uh, One thing that I, I heard you say was that there may not be one right answer. You know, there could be a number of options that are all good options. So I think again, it's like staying open to opportunity, looking for things, trying things out, 
That's really cool. And, to hear. and you don't have to make the right decision or make a permanent decision, right? Like, I think that's the other thing. You know, there are some people who are doing a lot of work in industry that I'm hoping one day will retire and become a clinicians because they are amazing clinicians, you know? So I think it doesn't have to just be one direction. It can be lots of different directions. I really, Scuff was really good. I haven't been in an in-person conference with ultrasound people in forever. And so it was really helpful to kind of think about these type of questions, right? What is our next? step? Where, where do we want to push research? Where should we put our energy? Is it still on like training the residents or do we have that cold? And now most people can do that. We're at a point where we can really, you know, push the field a lot of different ways, not for nothing. Emergency ultrasound has always kind of pushed people. And so maybe we need to think about that a little bit more to keep things moving because it would be very easy just to coast and kind of let it be residency training and, you know, progression to becoming the industry CMO or so, you know, I think we, I think it's, we, I think it's a, it's a very timely discussion because I think there's a lot of people thinking about this. So I'd really like to thank you for coming on the podcast. This was amazing. So much knowledge that you just dropped on us. So thank you again. We really appreciate it. I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. Please comment or let us know what you think. Yep. And you can do that by going to our website, ultrasoundgel.org. And yeah, let us know how you're liking these bonus cuts. Talk to you later. It was such a pleasure to be here. Thank you both. More. Pressure. More. Gel. 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 More. Pressure. More.